This is a big week, right? In Christendom. Not to mention that it's opening day on Thursday. Been waiting for that for a few months, but uh, opening day of what? Did you just say of what? Baseball, man. Baseball's coming, so uh might see me less. Uh, but no, this is a pretty exciting week, and it is Passover Sunday, and the crazy, the crazy thing is uh, we're in the middle of our study talking about Jesus, the Gospels, working our way through the Gospels, and we're in Passover week. Like today, we're going to talk about Monday of Passover week. And so uh, it's kind of fitting. The, the, here's the problem, though. We're not going to finish today, nor will we finish by next Sunday. We may finish next year about this time. So if it takes us that long to get through the whole week of the Passover, uh, so be it. But we literally started this study March of last year. So for the last 48 weeks, we've been doing the Gospels, and we're just now to the last week. And it could take just as long to get through the last week that it took for, to get through his three years of ministry. But let's get into this. Um, for those of you that are guests with us, we've been taking the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've kind of sewn them all together. Actually, there's a few theologians that have already done that for us. A.T. Robertson is one of them. And they've taken the four different books which parallel each other, and we've put it in chronological order. The one that is most specific about time would be Luke. He was the doctor, and he was pretty exact about things. Uh, the rest just told the stories. And so we've taken the four books, and we've patched them together to work our way through the Gospels uh, and the, the public ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. And so today, we we actually left last week at the end, not at the end, but the middle of uh, Mark 11, verse 11. This was on uh, Sunday night. He had just rode into town on a donkey. It was actually Palm Sunday, just as Rick was explaining where they put the, the palm leaves down and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and praising his name. It says, he went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That would be Sunday night, the tenth day of the month of Nisan. He left Sunday night, went to Bethany. Bethany was the place that he hung out with Mary and Martha where he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was only two or three miles. It was just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. You had the Temple Mount. You had the Kidron Valley, which was on the east side of the temple. And then the Mount of Olives, which is really now a cemetery for Jew Jewish people because they want to be the first to be raised when the Messiah comes. So they pay big bucks to be buried right there by the temple. There's hardly any trees left, left there at the Mount of Olives. There's still some. And so, and then on the other side of the Mount of Olives is Bethany, and that's where Jesus went for the night. And then it says in verse 12, the next day, this would be Monday, the 11th day of Nisan, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. It says that he was hungry. That just shows you that 
and affirms that Jesus was human. That he really did come here in a flesh suit and he took on what you and I experience, what you and I feel. Like he does it firsthand. It says, seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, uh, the fig tree is the national symbol for the Israelites. And when we were over there five years ago, and the group that's going with me in less than 40 days, you're going to see lots of fig trees. Here's a picture that I actually took when I was over there uh, in Israel five years ago. Is it loaded? It did not load. So imagine a fig tree there on the TV screen. And on that picture that did not load, there's actually uh, green figs. But here's what you need to know that you're not going to read in the Scripture, but you will know if you went over there and you actually saw what occurred. Six weeks before the figs actually grow on the tree, it leaves out. The leaves grow on the fig tree. And on those leaves, on those branches, there's nodules, little small balls. And those nodules are edible. Now, sitting here, and you guys, maybe you understand fig trees, maybe you don't, but uh, if you don't, this passage really doesn't make a lot of sense to you. But if you know that nodules are supposed to sprout at the same time that the leaves do, six weeks before the actual figs do, all of a sudden this makes sense to you. You see, because what Jesus is saying here is, he's like, look, Here's a fig tree with leaves. If it has leaves, it's supposed to have what? Nodules. This tree only has leaves. Nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. This tree was literally stating that, hey, look, I'm a fig tree, but I'm not producing anything. I'm a fig tree... Look, I've got fig leaves, I've got fig branches, but there's no fruit here. And Jesus, he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Well, <laughs> he's, he's got his 12 guys. <laughs> his 12 guys that are hanging out with him and he's trying to teach them. Literally, you're taking like high school, college kids they're more concerned about their stomachs than anything else. And you're trying to disciple them and teach them. And now you've just come up to this tree and you've looked at it because you're hungry. You see that there's no fruit there and you cursed it. These 12 guys are looking at Jesus like, this is weird. Literally, this is, this is what they're doing. They don't understand why Jesus has just cursed this tree. But if you know the truth, they're making a statement, the tree is making a statement, and it's not producing any fruit. He's cursed this tree just like he did the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, the priests, all those of the Jewish nation. Because, look, 
they're sitting there saying we're of God and we're for God and we want the Messiah to come, but you're not the Messiah, and they're not producing any fruit whatsoever. And because they've made that choice themselves, look, God didn't make that choice for them. They made that choice. He says, you're not going to see this thing. You'll never produce fruit again for that time. Oh, trust me, they will produce fruit in the end when Jesus returns. They will produce fruit. He says, no one ever eat from fruit from you again. And then uh, Jesus makes his way to the temple. It says in verse 15, they came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he began to throw out those buying and selling. Now, there's one statement right there. That's it. He began throwing out. We call this the cleansing, the cleansing of the temple. And honestly, if uh, you go back to, I believe it's John chapter, uh, John chapter two, we covered this. This is the second time that Jesus has cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. We covered this April 2nd last year. If you want more detail about it, you have to go back and listen to that podcast. But here's, here's what happened when Jesus came in and he, and he cleansed the temple. Briefly, I'll tell you. Is all his life, he lived in Nazareth with his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph. And every year they would make that long trek to Jerusalem. 60 miles, 70 miles on a donkey. And every year, Joseph was responsible for bringing a perfect sacrifice for the atonement. The atonement of their sins, that all their sins would be covered. Not forgiven, but covered. And every time that Joseph would show up to the temple mount, the rabbis would look at him and the Pharisees would look at him and the scribes would look at him and go, no, this animal has a defect. And Mary would look at Joseph like, you did it again. You didn't bring the perfect sacrifice. And so there at the temple in the Gentile court, there was a Gentile court, they had all these tables and markets set up, and guess what? They were selling perfect sacrifices. Yours isn't good enough, but you can buy one of ours for a more expensive price unless you want to go all the way back home and get one. You know, it's kind of like being at a ball game and you're hungry. They got you. And so it's that way. And Jesus comes in and says, this is my father's house and you've made it into a racket. And he literally comes in and he turns the tables upside down and there's anger. There is anger going on because this isn't what God's temple was created for. It was literally so people could come and worship and make a sacrifice for their sins. And these Jewish people were corrupting the system that God had put in place. This is the second time that he's done that. The first time, John 2, had to been like one of the first years of his public ministry. So now we're like three years later and Jesus is doing it again. Oh, I remember when he did this three years ago. It didn't go so well. And the scribes and the Pharisees are all like going... Gosh, this is Passover week. We, we really, we really can't, we really can't mess over Passover week. So what do we do? 
Some of the people are following Jesus and some people are totally against Jesus. It says, He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. At this point, Jesus is just, he's obviously been publicly recognized as a rabbi. That's it. He's got his 12 disciples that are following him, guys that are wanting to be like him, wanting to learn like him. But he's publicly recognized. It says, it is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He asked them, is it not written? Isn't that what it says? This play, here's why he's upset. Because there's only so many places that the Gentiles can go in the whole temple. The temple's built for the Jews. But God designed a Gentile court. And this is where the Jews set their marketplace up. They literally pushed out the Gentiles. There's no room for them to come worship God. Yes, there were Gentiles that believed the Jewish faith. They literally came in and and believed that there was a Jehovah God. And so God provided a place for them to worship, but now there's not room. And Jesus says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Can't all people, Jews and Gentile, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. Cannot all Jews and all Gentiles come to the house of God? But you have made it a den of thieves. He's literally pointing at them and saying, you, 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 you. You've totally changed the purpose of my father's house. And their reaction is this. The chief priests and the scribes heard it started looking for a way to kill him. How do we kill him without making a scene? For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Look, we need to get rid of this guy. He's messing up our system. We can't make any money here. We really don't believe that he's the Messiah, yet some of the people are believing that he's the Messiah. How do we end this whole disaster? And then uh, we jump to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. And then Jesus just is sitting down with his disciples, and it says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Just as we said, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. The Greeks were considered Gentiles. Some Greeks believed in the Jewish faith, God alone. It says, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, uh, we want to see Jesus. Here's the Gentiles coming to the Jew saying, uh, we'd like to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Philip's like, well, what do I do? I, I'm going to go ask my friend. What do, what do I do? Philip goes over to Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to him, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the Monday before Jesus is to be crucified on Friday. We've literally spent the whole year waiting to get to this point right here. 
so many times the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody wanted to like kill Jesus and put him off, but he said, it's not my time, it's not my time, it's not my time now. Jesus all of a sudden saying, all right, this is it. It's on. This is the week. It's time for our Father to be glorified. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I sit there and think about what he just said right there. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour. What is he talking about? He's talking about the exact moment when he's going to be put on the cross and crucified. Hello? (laughs) Jesus is saying, I'm about to die. And I believe Jesus knows how bad it's going to be. But the idea that Jesus was able to look past the crucifixion to the glorification is like Jesus, he zoomed out. You hear what I'm saying? We have a tendency to zoom in on the issue. But if we zoom out and we see the bigger picture, he went from the crucifixion to the Father being glorified in one statement. He was able to look past the crucifixion. He says, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is not only talking about his own life there, but he's talking about us as believers. You know people that absolutely enjoy this life. They don't want to give it up. But on the other hand, too, I know people who are walking by the Spirit that are enjoying this life just because the Father is doing it through them. Now, think about this. If Jesus is focusing on the bigger picture, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, one grain of wheat falls to the ground and it dies it's going to produce fruit here's what Jesus knew he could hang out with 12 guys for 3 years, 10 years, 20 years and he's probably going to have a crowd of people around him, multitudes he fed you know, 3,000, fed 5,000 thousands of people figuring out who Jesus is But here's what Jesus knew. If I die, crucified, buried, raised again, go sit at the right hand of my Father, then a spirit's going to come. We'll send a spirit, and everybody that believes that I'm the Messiah, everybody believes that I'm the Son of God, Everybody believes that I'm the Savior. That spirit is going to go into them and take up residence inside of them. Look, I could stay here and hang out with the 12. Or the spirit can come and go into all the believers. 
and watch the fruit that is produced. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. If you never know that spirit's in you, ha, you walking around and you're probably not producing fruit. You may be saved, but the deal is you figure out that this spirit is living inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in your mortal bodies. Holy cow, are you kidding me? You figured that thing out right there? You live your life differently and you watch the fruit that's produced. And Jesus absolutely knew this when he says, just one grain, it's going to die, but watch what it does. And today, I sit here and look at the glory of God in this room. Hello? That's you. The glory of God has taken up residence inside of you. That same glory that was in the burning bush that spoke to Moses is inside of you. That same glory that led them through the wilderness is inside of you. That same glory that showed up when Jesus was born is inside of you. It's taken up residence inside of you. And Jesus absolutely knew this was the deal. God watched this, and he's sitting there trying to explain that to his 12 guys. And they're like, hmm? What? It's almost dinner time. Seriously. They couldn't figure out, well, hey, you guys would be the same way if you didn't have the Spirit inside of you. They didn't have the Spirit inside of them yet. Spirit, Jesus hadn't died yet. Spirit hadn't come yet. They hadn't figured it out yet. They will. And the crazy thing is, they're going to remember what Jesus said before he died. And all of a sudden, it's going to like switch on and it's going to make sense, just like hopefully it is for you here in this room. Hopefully this makes sense. Not because I'm doing it, because the Spirit's speaking to you. There's a bigger picture. I absolutely believe what Paul says, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, I'll go, I'll die, so that you can be crucified with me and you will now have life in me and I in you. Watch this in verse 21. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Everything that was before the cross was about the law. You live by the law you obey the law. You're blessed by the way that you obey the law. You may be cursed by the way you disobey the law. But now that I've perfected the law in my own life and I've died as a sacrifice for you, now you walk this earth in righteousness. You walk this earth in righteousness. That is who you are. You, my friends, have been made righteous. You have been made holy. You have been set apart from everybody that is unredeemed. That's what Jesus saw. He says, 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the, the Father will honor him. Now, I think about one of the most... Uh, I think it was confusing for me at first. I go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, when it says, He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. If I'm standing here right now... <laughs> talking to you about Jesus and the Bible and everything else. But the scripture, Ephesians 2, 6, says I'm already seated with him. Hello, I'm in two different places at the same time. You see, because I believe that we're totally limited by this timeline. We're on this timeline. But for God, there is no timeline. So I can be here. I can be at Calvary, crucified with Christ, and I can be seated with him in the heavenlies. So when it comes to serving him, I'll follow him every day of my life. I'll follow him every day of my life because he promises me great things. It says, and then he says this, now my soul is troubled. My Savior sympathizes with me. My soul is troubled. Anybody troubled out here? Hello? Anybody troubled? <laughs> Anybody troubled this past week? Jesus says, uh, my soul is troubled. He gets you. He came here in human form, God, the Almighty God, the Son of God, came here, took on this flesh suit, and he goes, I I understand. I understand your pain. I understand your grief. My soul's troubled. But watch what he does. It's all <laughs> it's all perspective, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. I sit here and go, I got issues right now. I got personal issues right now. Uh, but I think about my friend Todd, I'm like, my issues are nothing. I think about Jesus, he's literally thinking about dying on the cross, and I'm like, my issues are nothing. It's all about perspective. But watch what he says. He says, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, save me. I, look, he's saying, God, Dad, I know why I'm here. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready to be out of this earth suit and seated with you in the heavenlies. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Father, whatever he says right here in verse 28, glorify your name. He is able to look away from his troubled soul, his immediate pain, and focus on his end purpose.
we have to zoom out. When we're struggling, we have to be able to see the bigger picture. In a matter of two sentences, Jesus flipped his whole thoughts. My soul is troubled, but Father, may you be glorified. There is purpose in adversity. It says this, Then a voice came from heaven. Wouldn't this be awesome to be standing there and a voice comes from heaven? It says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. (laughs) I wasn't going to, oh, I don't have my phone on me. I was going to show you something. It's kind of funny because it says, uh, this is the third time, honestly, that God's like spoken. Remember the other two times that God's spoken when Jesus was present? One was at his baptism. This is my son, and I'm well pleased. And then the other time was the transfiguration. Now this is the third time. But but watch what it says. It says the crowd standing there heard it, and he said it was thunder. He said it was thunder. Shall give me my phone. I got. This is kind of funny. This is impromptu, but it won't take but a second. Are you guys Marco Polo people? This is what maybe that voice sounds like, but I'm just... Uh, we're actually in a group with a bunch of Rangers people, and that would include my friends that... There's a volume up back there on this mic. So Bart did a uh, thing for uh, Trace Atkins. They did a charity this week for Chase Atkins, and he got on this app, you can actually like make your voice deeper. And if you know Trace Atkins, his voice is already deep. I'm Trace Atkins. It's stupid, but it's funny. But this is what it had to been like, right? Because they said, this voice, it sounds like thunder. It sounds like thunder. They They couldn't even recognize God's voice. We love God. We're all about God. We know God's laws, but we don't know what he sounds like. The question is, is do you in this room know what God sounds like? I'm not saying that you've ever heard an audible voice. Not ever say that you heard thunder talk to you. Maybe you have. But the question is, do you know your father? That you can recognize his voice. I promise you he speaks to you all the time. Why? Because you have that spirit living inside of you. What good does it do for the spirit to live inside of you and you can't hear him? You've got to be able to hear his voice. And the only way that you're going to hear his voice is to know him. So how do you know him? I read this thing. I study this thing. I hang out with you all the time. 
We talk about it. We process it together. We talk about the Father. I go outside and see the daffodils springing up already. And as Keith said, his snow just kind of wilted his daffodils and it gave him a picture of death and life. When you, when you know the Father, all of a sudden things just, you just start seeing things, right? You just start seeing things all around you. You see the hand of God working around you. And this is exactly what's happened here is they can't even tell that it's God speaking. It says the crowd standing there heard it and it said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus responded, this voice came not from me, not for me, but for you. You needed to hear this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I'm lifted up from earth, I will draw all people. That would be all people, all Jews and Gentiles. They Gentiles have just as much opportunity as the Jews. I will draw all people to myself. Look, you know the story. You know the truth. Satan was defeated at the cross. When Jesus was crucified and he was buried and he rose again, Satan could not hold him in the tomb. He defeated Satan at that point. No question about it. You go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the third chapter in the Bible. From the very beginning, it said, I will put hostility between you, being the evil one, the, the, the devil, I will put hostility between you and the woman. The woman, the seed came through Mary, remember? Remember? The seed usually comes from the male, but here it came through Mary. He says, I will put enmity between hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's very clear right there what is going to occur. The heel, he says, you will strike his heel. That's the crucifixion. He was bruised, but he was not broken. He was not defeated. He rose again and defeated the evil one. But he, he her offspring, will, will strike a blow to your head. You will be defeated. It was all the way back in the garden that it was decided the Messiah was coming and was going to beat the devil. And it happened at the cross. It happened. He said, he said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? You see, the Jews have been taken into captivity by the Egyptians, by the Chaldeans, by the Babylonians. And for years, they've been like spread all over their world. And they're like, we need a Messiah. We're waiting for a Messiah that's going to come and protect us like the Black Panther. Seriously, that's what they thought. They wanted a superhero Messiah. Yet he comes and he's born in a manger and he comes in on a donkey. And he's getting ready to be put to death on the cross. You're not the Messiah. We need a superhero that's going to save us from these Roman authorities and any other authority on this world. 
And here's what Jesus replied to him. Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Like four days. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. The bigger picture. The light is going away so the light will be in you. (laughs) Jesus says, you... My children are the light of the world. You will go into the darkness. You will cast light into the darkness. Jesus said this. And then he went away and he hid from them. My friends, uh, this is a big week in Christendom, whatever that means. I, I, I get the celebration of Easter. But if you can't wake up every morning and realize that there's a risen Savior and that he's taken up a residence inside of you, you're totally missing out. I get that Easter's coming. I get the celebration. I get the Passover. The Bible tells us, tells the Jews, celebrate the Passover, celebrate the Passover. But look, I wake up every morning knowing that I have been resurrected with Jesus Christ. And I get out of bed and I walk this life every day knowing that I have the opportunity to make two choices every step that I make. That's either walk by my spirit or walk by my flesh. I either walk by the power of Christ or I walk by my selfish ways. I get it. I get it. And sometimes I absolutely blow it and I walk my selfish ways. doesn't sit well with me because that's not my nature anymore. I'm a new creation. So I begin to walk by the Spirit. Spirit doesn't beat me up about making a bad choice. He's like, come on, let's get going. Keep walking. Just like when you teach a child to walk, they fall down. Let's get up, keep moving, keep walking, let's try it again. It's the same way. Trust me. There is a bigger picture out there. Jesus' plan this whole time was for him to die, the Spirit to come, live inside of you, and you be the light of the world. Father, I pray that uh, we figure this thing out. We figure out that uh, you gave up your life so that we could have life. And that we could have life in you and you in us. And so I pray that... uh, It's not just my words that are spoken here, but it's yours that's spoken in the hearts and in the minds of those that are sitting out here. May they truly see that. May they truly be transformed by your power. May they walk in that light today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.